This episode of the only podcast about movies was recorded a little differently. Being that the studio is in a bit of a state of flux, we decided to record in Shahir's living room. Yay. So if you hear any echoes, anomalies, I don't know, crying victims in the background, please don't mind it. It'll be back to normal soon enough. You really think I'm a serial killer, don't you? And with that in mind, enjoy the show. up internet now you're in the sunken place my name is matthew kroll and you know i can't give you these keys right babe my name is shahir dow oh, i love it when you call me babe yeah, you like that yeah we're getting closer and this is the only podcast about movies specifically the film get out get out get out it reminded me at first before you know i saw it and saw what it was of the scene in terminator 2 when the uh, t-1000 liquids get yeah, into, the, into the uh, into the chopper yeah so get gets out. out. Oh, actually, I think in T in Terminator One they do it as well. Well, in the oh, get out. He does it in a car, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I mean, sure. I'm sure that. The, but the this is not that. <laughs> yeah, and this is a, a film I've been excited about, even though I haven't watched any of the trailers. Uh, you don't watch any trailers. Anymore. I don't watch any trailers, but because this is the directorial debut of one Jordan Peele, yes, whom we are. Well, I'm a big fan. Of I am the, as from, I am a fan as well from Key and Peele, and the second Key and Peele film we've done. That is true. Although this, this is, is not, a Peele film. This is a Peele yeah. film, not a Key yeah. film. Uh, yeah, we did Keanu, and yeah. uh, we liked Keanu fine. No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't like no, it? No, I didn't like Keanu. Oh. Go back. I, I, I liked it fine. Really? I thought it was inoffensive and fun and a good time. Yeah, well. And let's see if we can get offensive on this one. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think I don't think well, I don't think it will be, but this is uh no, I was very excited to do this one as well. Uh the 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 premise of it from the moment I did see the trailer kind of jumped out at me and I was like, yes, like this well, I, looks uh, awesome. I mean, I guess I was excited because it's also a Bloomhouse film, and this is uh, a Bloom. You know, with the the gift was one of my favorite films of the previous year, which is also a Bloomhouse horror film. Right. So I like that kind of working style that the Bloomhouse guys have, which is the um, pay a low budget for the film, but, but but give them a decent back end on the end, which means you get these sort of slightly more true to form horror films. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But before we move on to the film itself, yeah. I wanted to catch up on some emails. Uh, and we haven't it, done that in a bit. We haven't done that in a bit. Even though we've been we've been pretty active on Twitter recently. Yes, a yes. lot of back and forth on Let's Twitter. Let's pat ourselves in the back for our social media presence. Yep. I think we're doing a bang-up <laughs> job. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. And check out our website, OnlyMoviePodcast.com. Um, this email came into us. It's a little bit of a delayed email based off our 2016 year in review. We're only two months late. Two months late. But uh, Jacob, who is a frequent commentator. uh, Hi, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Thanks for writing in. We appreciate that. In fact, I, I had to prod him a little bit. To, to write this in uh, because he, there was a little bit of Twitter back and forth. He was like, I want to write in, but I don't want to. Are you harassing our listeners? I am harassing him. I apologize. Wow. For that. Actually, I don't. Let no, that be a warning, everybody. <laughs> sorry, sorry, not sorry. Um, but, uh, but then I realized why when he sent the email. It was a very long, very thoughtful email where he had cataloged your top 10 against my top 10 yes. against his top 10. There was some work done. Yeah, yeah, against his top 20. Um, uh, Jacob, uh, I don't know you in person, but obviously you're a person who likes to analyze data on spreadsheets. So I, uh, I loved thank, it. Yeah. I thank you for that. Um, I wanted to say just up front, uh, Jacob, uh, wanted to, 
take some uh, take some uh, take some heat against my top ten uh, because he oh, didn't understand no. he didn't understand why I would put um, films from 2015 onto the list yeah, uh, and his argument. And his so argument was strange. you wouldn't see Spotlight or Son of Saul in this year's Oscar race, so why put them on your personal top 10 list? Uh, Jacob, I have no defense there other than if I didn't put it on this list, uh, Son of Saul and Spotlight wouldn't end up on any list of mine, uh, which I think is a shame because I love those films and I've watched them repeatedly since. Uh, so my only defense is, is my way of... Or uh, the highway. It's my way of, uh, of including those films which we saw in 2016 but may have came out in 2015. We don't go out uh, any further than that, though. We don't like put in films from... 1965. Oh, give it time, Shahir. I'm yeah. sure you'll find some loopholes to throw whatever <laughs> other movies you want in there. But I wanted to read out a uh, Jacob, if you don't mind, I'd love to read out your list, and you have no way of rebutting me at this point. <laughs> oh, so I'm just going to go yeah, ahead Jacob, and do, it. do you mind? <laughs> oh, good. Silence. The silence means go. Yeah, the silence means he go. Did, he's literally screaming right now at us, being like, <laughs> no! <laughs> what I like about this list is it's pointed out a few films that we haven't seen that we should. Uh, I'm going to go uh, reverse chronology here. So starting from 10, Mars from America, starring Craig Ross. Robinson, which is a film I, I I saw one trailer of, and it looked like a very small, intimate film, right? Um, about a young kid who moves to Germany, I believe. Um, so yeah, I've been wanting to check that out, but if the fact that it made Jacob's list has made me want to see it a little more, mm-hmm. uh, also The Age of Seventeen is his number nine, another film that is uh, on my iTunes list right now, and I've heard very good things of. Um, sort of a little bit like Perks of Being a Wallflower, I think, in terms of being like a coming of age film yes, that's yep, actually yep. worth checking out. Operation Avalanche is a film uh, which takes Jacob's number eight position. Um, I had not even heard of that before, uh, but Jacob says it's a reimagining of history, found footage, mockumentary, conspiracy thriller about a CIA agent that infiltrates NASA and tries to expose a mole, but ends up getting uh, wrapped up in the moon landing and filming a faking of it with the help of Stanley Kubrick. Actually, I might have seen a trailer of this, but I, I didn't really... Uh, you better I, not have. No, when I went to the movies to see... Uh-uh. Um, uh, don't think twice. I remember might have seen a trailer uh, for it then. Also, there was a trailer for another movie that Jake has been trying to get us to see, which is a movie called Demon. Yeah. Um, which I've heard is very good as well. Uh, up number seven would be The Witch, a film that made my, uh, my number mm-hmm. two. The Lobster is number six, uh, which also ended up in my list, but not on yours, Matt. Nope. The Handmaiden, which we just reviewed, yeah. and I agree would have ended up on my list um, if we if had, you had di- seen it. Yeah, if I'd then. seen it done. So, it might, so to much to Jacob's chagrin, it might actually end up on my 2017 no. list. No, no, <laughs> no, no. It's going to happen. Rolling up the newspaper. The uh, Green Room at number four. Mm-hmm. That's a film you really like, but we, for some reason, didn't end up on your list. Yeah, um, I, it was effective in the moment for me, and then I just haven't given it much thought after the fact. Uh, I got to interview Jeremy Saulnier this year, uh, and he's a lovely, lovely guy, and I hope to see um, more big films from him. I know he just got announced for a couple of... Uh, his name, you know, with the with Ben Affleck dropping out of the, uh, the Batman movie, I think his name was tossed around as a pot- potential replacement director, and I agree. I think that would have been very cool. Yeah. Um, Captain Fantastic at number three. Again, uh, very heard very, very good things, particularly of Viggo Mortensen. And I hear mm-hmm. being a parent, this might be a film to, to check out. Oh, now. wait, do you have a kid? Uh, no, no. Just I uh, was going <laughs> to say, because we are in your apartment right now, uh, I don't see a child anywhere. He's very quiet. He's locked in the basement. Oh, He's all right. <laughs> well behaved. Uh, very well behaved. Uh, chloroform will do that to you. Uh, Captain Fantastic at number three. 
La La Land at number two, a film that did not appear on either of our lists, and Manchester by the Sea at number one. Hmm. Um, I think that's interesting in a relationship to the Oscars, which just happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, Matt, did you check out the Oscars? What do you... Uh, I was in the middle of moving, yeah. Uh, so it was the one night I had no internet or cable. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing: it's impossible to miss what happened at the Oscars. I didn't know until day. the morning, right? I, I I was funny. I was in an Uber, uh, and my driver was like, "Are you keeping up with the Oscars?" I was like, "Not really." And he go, and he goes, and his wife just texted him at that moment. He goes, "La La Land won Best Picture." And I was like, oh, really? And I was kind of bummed out about it. And yeah, then as got, you should be. Yeah, and then I got home, and it was like, no, Moonlight won. And I was very confused because I didn't watch it. I mean, this is the most interesting thing that happened at the Oscars in my lifetime. Maybe next to the Marissa Tomei win. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, it's just like, this is, I mean, this is as odd as it was, and, and, and whether, you know, you, you liked the moment or you think someone messed up or it could have been handled differently or blah, blah, blah. This is the kind of thing that's going to get people talking about the Oscars. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, and so, honestly, this flub was probably the best thing that could have happened. Uh, overall, I think, the, the uh, for the most part, I think I like all of the winners. Um, Viola Davis was great. Uh, Emma Stone, I mean, I love Emma Stone, even though I'm not a fan of La La Land. It's uh, strange to think. Uh, oh, and, you know, like Emma Stone is an Oscar winner now. I'm just remembering her from Superbad. Or, or Easy A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Moonlight, <laughs> definitely. I was. Um, yeah. I wanted to win a hundred percent. I didn't think it was going to happen, and bam. Yeah. So. I yeah. I I definitely was pleased that Moonlight won. I you know it's my number one film of the year, so I was very happy about that. Um, but you know, like it, I think I said in that in that episode as well. I don't really care if it wins or not. I think it's still it's a film. For of course. The ages, so. I mean, well, now it's up there with the upper echelon of other Oscar-winning films, such as Suicide Squad. Yeah, Suicide Squad won an Oscar. Uh, has, it, has a Marvel film ever won an Oscar? I don't think so. so suicide- uh, no, no. I think for some of the visual effects stuff, they have. Really? Yeah. I'm. I'm. It, right in. Squad? Right in. Uh, Only movie podcast at gmail.com If I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Like, what? What did Suicide Iron Squad Man win for? Makeup. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's the right people, up. It's the right people up there that wrote with, "damaged" uh, on Jared Leto's forehead. Yeah, it's right up there with like the it, Fellowship of the Rings. It beats Star Trek, which Star Trek's makeup I thought was wonderful. Beyond- I see, there are certain categories I don't know how to judge because I don't have the technical capacity to know. What, you know, like when they do sound mixing, for example, right? Sound mixing and sound design. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds. I, good. I feel like I can differentiate the two, but the, but I actually, I will say this. I I think even though you know Joker and Harley got kind of the shine in this thing, I think the the makeup they did on Killer Croc mm-hmm. looked phenomenal. Okay, but uh, no, but not any better than I would have expected it to. You know, like given what that character was. Given yeah, the but I mean, look at look at the way that that monstrous sort of non CG characters have been handled in the past. Right. Like, I, I I would I was expecting much worse. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I was shocked at the level of quality of that. I uh, think. Didn't the Best Makeup Award once go to Charlize Theron for uh, Monster, probably as well? Uh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, but maybe. Yeah, maybe. So it's it's that's the thing. It's it's such a you know like it's when whenever they win Best Editing uh, Award, Best Editing, you know, like sometimes it's like well, you don't want the you want the editing of a film to be entirely invisible. So I remember when the Social Network won it, I was like, huh. I mean, it's a very well edited. I mean, film. or do you? Because sometimes the editing can help well, tell the a story. Film like, and that's the, yeah. you, a film like JFK, for example, it was like where the editing is so noticeable, yeah. it's rat a tat. Yeah. You know, like I I don't I don't know how to judge that. Uh, but listen again, thank you, Jacob, for. Uh, 
writing us in. You know, I hope we get to do a couple of these. Um, I think train. He, he mentioned a film, Train to Busan, a Korean zombie film that I've been hearing a lot of love of. There's another Korean uh, moderate horror film called uh, The Wailing that I'm hoping that we uh, we get to do. It is that about screaming or is that about whales and like uh, the whaling? It's industry? about it's screaming. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could be both. Uh, I'm hoping to see that at some point as well. And the last little bit of housekeeping I wanted to mention was we're doing a panel. Uh, another panel. That is right. We're doing the trifecta of getting good GUD at making video game movies. Uh, we're going to be at PAX East Friday, 1 p.m. Dragonfly Theater. Uh, it's going to be pretty nuts. So yes. come on down, check out. This is the last time we're going to be doing this one. <laughs> uh, we're going to be doing more panels in the future, but this is just going to be the, the swan song. These have been song. a lot of fun as well. It's been, um, it's I, been really good. Yeah, audience engagement in these things are crazy. Yeah, People so we appreciate, really, really get into this. Yeah, we appreciate you guys coming out and asking questions. There will be giveaways. I just got the giveaways in. Oh, wow. Uh, they're some of I the paid best. My, my half of this. No, giveaway. it's okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, the the it'll be some of the best and the worst that video game cinema has to offer. So come check that out. Oh, and also I found out she here. They're going to be streaming it live on Twitch. Oh, cool. So you can actually. I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm you kidding. I do know what Twitch uh, is. But oh. I've, ne- I've never been to Twitch. I've I'm never. gonna. That's that's the that's a sin. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so I think if you just go to Pax East Twitch uh, at one o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and ch- click the Dragonfly Theater feed, we're going to be there. So you can check us out live. You can so, see us. Yeah. He was he, real human beings as, as opposed to just disembodied voices on the internet. Or robots. <laughs> you don't know. Don't judge me. But enough of everything else. We're, we're saying get out to everything but <laughs> get out. Oh, boy. Is that your segue? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. About as smooth as riding one. <laughs> um, Shahir, what, let's, let's, let's talk about this. What like you, what'd you think initially? So uh, initially... I have to admit, I saw this as a double feature because uh, I had to catch up on some movies specifically for this podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I was very tired going into this. And because I, I just I knew what the concept was. I knew that Jordan Peele was behind it. I mm-hmm. knew that it was a Bloomhouse film. I was kind of like, OK, I think this is going to be good. It was really good. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And and I will say this before we even get into what the film is. This is a film to see in a theater. I think the last Bloomhouse film we did was Ouija, um, Ouija, Ouija, <laughs> Ouija, Origin of Evil. Origin which, of Evil. You know, evil. like, I think, har- I don't know what if it's a different cultural thing. In New Zealand, we don't talk to the movie <laughs> when we're in a theater watching the movie. But I've noticed it's a very distinctly American thing, which is that people talk to the movies It depends here. on the film, yeah. Yeah, but people shout at the movies when, when they're here. And five times out of ten, that really bugs me and it annoys me. But in the case of a good horror, where people are actually like talking to the screen because they're really into it... Well, horror is such a communal experience, too, because it, it, oh, this is... I, I won't say that horror, horror is easy to do. I don't think that's the case. But the... Uh, but the... The feelings of fear and unease and things like that are very communal. Yeah. Like, you, you might not get everyone to cry at a sad moment, but chances are you can get everyone to feel uncomfortable at a scary one. And also, like, hearing someone scream next to you really breaks the tension yeah, 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 yeah. in the room. So I saw this. Now, and this is a weird one to say as well. I saw this... Um, in a predominantly African-American crowd. Okay. Um, not by design. I guess it was just, you know, the people that were going to go see the movie. And their engagement of the film was amazing. Oh, they were like, loving it. Oh, and and also, you know, because this film, 
basically plays on the subtle racial cues that most people who aren't of a minority miss. Yeah. And that's what this film is is basically highlighting in many, many cases. But then it gets into like absurd levels. And and to see that on screen with an audience, a predominantly minority audience, and like know that they know exactly what the moment is where the characters don't was kind of special to experience in that way. And so I would highly recommend. I know it's a, it's been a week since this movie came out. To not okay. So first off, go see the movie. It's right. great. It's a lot of fun. I have a couple of issues that I want to raise about it later on, but nothing like you nothing know, that keeps you from the theater. Oh no, absolutely not. Nothing that says that this is a uh, you know anything but uh, a money a movie you should slap your money down for immediately. <laughs> um, but uh, seeing it in a communal experience, uh, uh, preferably with other African Americans. Uh, as, as weird as that might sound in terms of like trying to choose your audience, which is a strange concept in, in, in all, but it actually makes the movie a much better experience in my opinion. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, is that is that too hot topic to start off with? No, not at all. I think so. I saw it with a pretty fully mixed crowd okay. um, in Brooklyn. And the really interesting thing on my end of it was... I noticed that all of the people of color would react to certain... I definitely watched the audience a lot in this one. Yeah. And the people uh, of color would react uh, differently to certain things than the white people would, and the white people react differently, da da da, da. Yeah. But it was interesting how uncomfortable the white people <laughs> were. Not only at the white people in, the movies be- in this movie being the bad guys, but... <laughs> but at the i like this movie does something really adept and 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 wonderful it takes stereotypical like microaggressiony like racist stuff yeah. and puts it in a framework of a horror film which means everyone can understand at least a sliver of the experience at that point like because i'm putting something that is so or not, not i uh Peel put this, to, this all this stuff in a framework that everyone, no matter what race you are, can understand, and that being a horror film. So cues, cadence of the way the plot and the story and the dialogue and, and even the music is going is happening, right? And, and at those moments where something normally tension-building or scary would happen it would be a microaggression or something slightly racist. Uh, yeah, it's, and, it, and that, to me, was so interesting because it I noticed it worked on me, and then I was like looking around. I was like, "Oh wow!" Like everyone's being called out on bullshit. Like it was yeah. very interesting. I mean, I mean, even so. So, on a, uh, what Matt? First, before we even go into it, what's the film about? Tell tell us. Oh, tell the us, IMDb yeah, synopsis. Give us the IMDb Sorry, synopsis. we just jumped ahead. This we is gonna, this is going to tell you shit. <laughs> a young African American man visits his Caucasian girlfriend's mysterious family estate. Accurate. Accurate, completely accurate. I guess. And the first thing that happens that I think is a really good telling sign of uh, things to come is he has a conversation with his girlfriend played by... Uh, it's it's Daniel Kaluuya, uh, who you might remember from Sicario, um, a, a, a very fine actor in Sicario. Mm-hmm. I really, really dug him in that film. Um, and his girlfriend's played by Girls Allison Williams. Um, he asks her, does her parents know that he's black right they're packing to go away to her place for the weekend yeah and 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 she she reacts in a way that i feel like non-racist white people might even though this could be seen as insensitive yeah Uh, 
she, oh, do you think she's being insensitive? I or? don't know. I <laughs> honestly, you could look at it from both ways because he wants to know if he's told her parents because he doesn't want to feel uncomfortable there. Yeah. She is so quote progressive that she's like no like it doesn't matter like they shouldn't matter my parents are cool like this shouldn't matter to them i'm not going to be like oh yes by the way i'm just i think i'm dating a black man man. uh so like i get from the both characters perspective their feelings are totally valid at this point but like i and she plays it off very sort of cavalierly and and sort of puts him at ease or at least assumingly at ease as 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 much at ease as he possibly could with them not having been told. Yeah, exactly. And then he, she says one thing that I think was actually a really great... It's kind of the, the kind of comedy that they would do on Key and Peele, but the, she says this line, my dad, played by uh, Bradley Whitford, who is just awesome in everything he does, shout out to The West Wing, and shout out to one of my favorite horror films, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah! Um, but uh, he say, she says, my dad would have voted for Obama in a third term. And then when they go to meet Bradley Woodford... Even he, beyond that, though, hold on. Even beyond that, he, she says that, and he kind of rolls his eyes at her. Yeah, yeah. But then she goes, and he's going to tell, tell you, you about it at great length. So, yeah. like, she's even undercutting, like... She's saying, yes, that my parents are not racist. They won't care. They're going to be lame about it, yeah. but they're not going to be hateful about so it. So do you think... Uh, this is actually a good question. And so, off the bat, again, what I love about this movie is that it's based entirely in the interactions that are very human and real today. It's kind of... It's based in the kind of interactions that you and I would have on a daily basis. And... and when it, I bring you home to my parents. Yeah, house. when you bring Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Where's he from? What does he look like? Oh, uh, New Zealand? Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Um it's and and I think it actually brings up an interesting conversation. Um, do you think like like what's the underpinning? Uh, so when he when uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya meets his dad, uh, his name is by the way is Chris in the film. Uh, when he meets um, uh, Bradley Whitford, he the first thing he says is, by the way, I would have voted for Obama a third time. Also, it's in context of the fact that they that Chris has noticed that they have. You're black... jumping. You're jumping no, no, way no. ahead. No, no, they have. No, no. This is this is right. This is right at the top. Chris, we, we, we haven't gone the road trip or talking to the friend or the deer. You're going all over the place. But do you need? Yeah, do we, man. Do we need to? Do we need to? Because do... there's a lot of symbolism. In yeah, a lot of course. Of that but shit. I, I want to get to this point specifically. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. So the specific point I want to get to is that the first thing Chris notices is that they have black servants in the house, like black caretaker and mm-hmm. a black housekeeper. Yes. Uh, and so Bradley Whitford then says to him. And I would have voted for Obama a third time. Do you think that what's the underpinning behind him saying that? Is it an apology for the fact that they have black servants? Is it to say, hey, I'm cool, I'm hip? Is it to is it to be an apologist? Or is it actually insensitive to say something like that? I mean, I can't make that call because yeah. I'm not the minority in question. However, what I would say is in context with the rest of the scene, he and... Chris are walking outside after he gives him a, a very forceful tour of the house. Yeah. Uh, filled with a bunch of other kind of uh, maybe microaggressions, maybe just sort of weird, weird. I, I just find the term microaggressions weird because I don't re- like I know it's because it's come up a lot in the sort of um, I, a lot of people are calling it the uh, the the liberal lift or, you know, the insane liberal lift or the social justice warrior kind of thing. So do you think these are actually microaggressions or are they, well, these well, just like normal human? I'm going to answer the first question and then I'll answer the second okay. question that you've just posed. Okay. Uh, the fact that he's saying this to Chris uh, outside in full context of the dialogue that's going on, he takes him outside and he goes, mm-hmm. look, 
He's like, I know what this looks like. I know you what you must be thinking. He's like, white family, black people working here. Like, what the fuck's going on? And, right. and Chris tries to play it cool. Yeah. He's like, uh, you know, no, but he obviously thought it. Yeah. And he's like, look, that we we hired uh, Georgina and Walter. Um, oh, Walter played by uh, Marcus Henderson and Georgina played by Betty Gabriel. Okay. Uh, the uh, he's like they, we hired them to take care of our parents before they passed away, and then once they passed, like we just had gotten so used to them, we really liked having them around, and they wanted to stay, so they just like they stuck around, and now you know that's that's why they're here, right? And he kind of in the way that the dialogue goes, he kind of diffuses it as much as one can diffuse that situation, and then in order to try to feel hip, I think, and sort of with it. Along with this, how long has this how long has this thing been going yeah, on? Yeah, or whatever yeah, he says, yeah. he says the Obama line. Uh, at this point, you just could think that the father is yes, a nice dude, but someone who's out of touch, but trying too hard to make someone feel comfortable. That yeah. then, in turn, might even lead to, depending on the person or the situation, that person feeling more uncomfortable. Yeah, it's exactly. It's kind of like it's kind of like saying, "Oh, you're you know," some people said to me, "You're Indian. I love Indian food," kind of thing. And he, right, you know, which is insane to me. It, but uh, it, it happens all the time. And the thing is, I know, but that's but like, look, I don't think, and this gets this wraps into the microaggressions yeah. question. And this is let's listen to the white guy's opinion on <laughs> microaggressions. No, no, I think it's because I I actually have not given this topic a lot of thought, but I know it's like in the in the it's it's that concept is out in the world right now. Sure, and and I think the reason why I tend to to notice this stuff is obviously not from really like personal experience from people talking to me, but I am probably to a fault one of the most kind of neurotic conversationalists okay. like if i care <laughs> you about host a podcast I, what <laughs> uh if i care about the person yeah that i'm speaking to or the conversation at least what's important etc i go to great lengths to try to take not only like two paths one the path of least resistance and not accidentally insulting someone yeah. and to be the most interesting conversationalist that i can be like right i i it's it's kind of tiring and it might be a bit OCD, but like I, I think about this stuff all the time. So for instance, if I'm meeting a new person, like I know people that would say that Indian food thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I and I would look at them and be like, Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> like, because look, and this is my opinion and it doesn't sort of count, but like, do I think that is a huge deal? No. Yeah. If it happens every fucking day, I would be furious. It's like death by inches at that point. And I understand that minorities in this country, even with people that sort of feel very, um, uh, like that might not actually be racist. Everyone's a little bit racist. Yeah. And I, but I think the problem is, is that, um, race to call someone racist, like, clouds them in a blanket yes. that 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 is too broad and that's that's kind of the problem you see in the in the the fight between the left and the right now is that you know the left calling people on the right ignorant and racist is being like no we're not ignorant and racist we are you know like there are multi levels to like what we believe and what we don't believe you know i i don't, you know They're just ignorant no uh <laughs> so so it's kind of a it's a really broad topic but i i think what i love about this film is that it, la- it, it It gives us the experience of layering all those interactions on top of each other in a very, very tight time frame. And in a way that explains them well to people that do not 
normally think about these sort of things. Again, right. I go back to the cadence of a horror movie, and mm-hmm. whenever these things happen, it's the same as like a, a tense moment looking for a killer. Like it just reads the same. Yeah. So even if you're white in yeah. the audience, you feel Chris's uncomfortableness right. because of this, the craft that this thing was done. And that to me is like is mind blowing that like holy shit this like you can you can transfer a small part of this and make anyone understand and what's uh, i mean so we, we did jump around and the one that we missed the the interaction that we missed is at the beginning of the the car ride to the uh, to the estate yes jumping back um, they they hit a deer by uh, you know a deer jumps out on the road uh, and they they call the police the police comes and the first thing that you know after a, a very polite conversation uh, the police officer asks Chris for his driver's license and he doesn't have one. He has only state ID. And Rose, played by Allison Williams, suddenly jumps in and goes, no, you don't need his ID. You I know, was driving. I was driving. There's no need. you know. And he's like, no, I need to ask for everyone's ID. And we immediately, again, it's not stated here what's happening, but we immediately know what is happening here, which is that. Indicating a problem in our society. Let's just throw that out there. Well, but it might not be. I mean, I don't know police procedure here. Like, maybe it is. No, 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 no. I'm not saying the police procedure is wrong. I'm saying the fact that everyone in the audience and Chris as a character and Rose as a character, at that moment, instantly thought, oh, it's because he's black. Yeah. And the fact that that happens, right. that's, that's the and issue. And even the cop knows it as well. The cop knows that as soon as I ask for this, it's going to look... I nope. mean, the fact that she's questioning me about this makes it seem like even if my intentions... You know, even if this was just standard police procedure, sure. I now am, uh, you know, like... You know, covered in that blanket of potential yeah. races, yeah. Um, and so he smiles and gets away. And she, and and Chris says something in the car ride back. From there, he goes, "That was really hot," you know. And she's like, "I'm not going to let anyone uh, mess, with my mess with my man." And I was like, and I actually, I was like, "Oh, that's that's interesting," because I I would have presumed that he might have felt like he needed to say something like, "Hey, you don't need to stick up for me all the time," but he was like. No, I appreciate that. You know, like, you don't need to, but I appreciate it. And I was like, oh, there's this dimension to this relationship. Now, what I was worried about is the dimension to this relationship. What it concerned me was that, was she only dating him because he was black? Oh, I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, as the movie goes on, spoiler alert. That question (laughs) question Uh, becomes answered at some point. But uh, Jarrah... Uh, friend of the show and one Milligan, of the, host of uh, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. Yes, uh, in his podcast, I believe he said, or maybe one of his co-hosts did, but they said how uh, I think some of them liked that moment and some of them didn't because okay. it was like, I guess I, I don't know. I, I can't speak for that, but like <laughs> I think it can be read a bunch of different ways. I if the, the, if the I was that, in, that he said that was hot. Yeah, because it's odd, like because she. It's again at that point. Again, I, I feel so weird talking about this because I'm the white should, dude. But I, and and know that this is a safe space. I know. Yeah, the <laughs> internet's real safe. Uh, no, I just think like if uh, if okay, I'm gonna try to put this in in terms that I can relate to. If I'm in a situation mm-hmm. where uh, I realize that something is being done to me unfairly, right? And my girlfriend comes and sticks up for me. In a way that I'm just trying to, like, for instance, that could that scene could have taken a very different turn. Right. That scene could have been like, "No, ma'am, against the car, sir, you two, like, very, no. like, because she's she's mouthing off." But for instance, oh, this is what I think Shira said. If Chris had put up the fight, because Chris was very yeah uh, uh, amicable, he was over. like, "Here's here it is," and and she, she was like, "No, no, no." Yeah, that would have been very different. Yeah, and I think that's why the that was hot moment rubbed certain people a different way because. It's also- 
Well, sorry. Go yeah, ahead, yeah. Just because that it's it's the fact that Chris in in this societal moment doesn't even have that option. Right, and it, it speaks to a kind of the the other side of this, the deeper dimension to this is that her being able to speak to the police officer in that way speaks to a certain privileged yes. position that she holds. That's what it was. Yep. That he that that Chris doesn't hold. Yep. Um, and I think again, it's just uh, it's just such good observational writing. You know, like I know mm-hmm. it might seem like it's a little bit on the nose, but that's that's the world that this film lives in and it and it and every interaction is loaded with that kind of conversation about race and yeah. I, that's what i really loved about it and the, so the, the the next thing that happens you know that we talked about a little bit earlier is that they pull into the estate and the first thing that chris notices is that they have an african-american um groundskeeper, groundskeeper. and it's like oh okay you know like and you can see him go oh is that what this you know like is is because because his girlfriend is professed you know intently that right you know they don't see color but they they live on this big estate and they have a, a an african-american groundskeeper and the, and the, and then they have an african-american uh housekeeper as well and it's like oh okay you know like he can sense that this is actually if not an on the surface issue is a, it is a subsurface issue that he might need to address. And Bradley Whitford kind of mentions it later on. Sure. And also, I mean, throughout this entire thing, we'll be referencing back he uh, in the car trip up and a couple times in the house before shit hits the fan. Uh, Chris Starks uh, calls his friend Rod. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I-, I love Rod in this movie played by... Um, uh, Laurel. Laurel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he And he's like, because uh, he's watching his dog back yeah. home. Yeah. And... Uh, he's telling him like, oh, it's weird. They have you know yeah, these two don't go in American there. people. Was like, you should. He's like, you're gonna. This is weird. Like this. I don't. This is weird. Just, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, he he's a great uh, Look, character I think in the film. Th- that character is really the audience surrogate. Oh, he's the, the cipher. hundred percent. Yeah, and he's also like closer in in tonality to to the uh, the key and peel kind of comedy mold. You know, yes. like he's the one. You know, he's a he's a TSA agent who's like who's like, why are people p- pissed off that I'm patting down a grandma? You know, like the next time there's a terrorist attack, it's going to be grand <laughs> geriatrics and the yeah. you know, like it's it's that kind of like strange right, key right, right, and right, peel right. comedy that that they're known for. And he's definitely an audience surrogate as well. He like releases the tension valve every now and again every time he's on. Yeah. Uh, ordinarily, like that's the kind of obvious thing that I wouldn't like, but he's so he's very good. At he's it. so good in this role that it's like I kind of just love every time he's on the screen. So we. Uh, we sit down eventually to dinner, right? Is yeah. that where we're at? And uh, so, oh, dad's a neurosurgeon and mom's a hypnotist. Yeah, Catherine, uh, Catherine Keener as well. Like, yeah. Uh, old favorite back day, being, being John Malkovich. Yeah. And uh, then, uh, and 40-year-old virgin. Oh, right. Uh, not, a, not a big 40-year-old virgin. Uh, well, I mean, when you're living it. It's yeah. just, you don't need, you don't need. <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very, uh, just I kidding. Like, you have a child. Yeah. Um, I had sex that one time. <laughs> that, that's pretty much what my child is, is evidence that I had sex once. You just hold him up. Yeah. Like, like listen, guys. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh. <laughs> um, again, I don't see the child anymore. I just want to point that out to the audience. I see children's toys. Yeah. No kid. Um, and then we also meet uh, Rose's brother. Jeremy, played by Caleb Landry Jones, who is a psychopath. Yeah, he's very unhinged. Um, I, you know, one thing just backing up as well. I like that we saw here is that this uh, Bradley Whitford um, does this tour of the house, and immediately there's this there's this one 
I like everything I started doing was like looking at the artwork on the screen. Like I was like, oh, does he have African American uh, art here, or is he going to tell him something about like? Because he was like, I collect these artifacts from like other all countries, over the world, all over the world. I, you know, I know it's lucky that I've been to these places. And I was like, is he going to try and school him on something that he might know already? But the first thing he does is he tells him that his grandfather or Bradley Whitford's dad. Um, was the the guy who came second in the 1940s Olympics in Germany in Berlin and lost to Jesse Owens and Jesse Owens was the guy who uh, famously won the uh, won that despite uh, Adolf Hitler's much uh, protestations of uh, of an African American man winning mm-hmm. the Olympic uh, challenge and I immediately knew that that was going to be a factor in this film later on and became kind of a it's again one of those like little. Hmm, where's this going? Where's he going yeah. with this? Why is he telling him this? You know, There's a lot of, of good moments like that. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. The um oh, and uh this and there's other things too they do with the camera work. Like again, I feel bad because we're all hopping all around, but like when they first arrive at the house, mm-hmm. the introductions aren't done in close ups. No, it's, it's one long wide, wide shot. shot. And and the reason being is that we pull back to reveal the the groundskeeper watching that interaction yeah. mm-hmm. um it's a it's a nice little touch i, I and know the way it, it sort of what's happening with the groundskeeper sort of how he sees the world and like you know it, it all ties in very well anyway so after a couple and i'll say it again microaggressions of have been like how long has this thing been going on my man and the, <laughs> even the brother at dinner is like with your genetic makeup you could fucking be a beast like right. he's talking about judo and like wants to like play fight him and shit yeah. side note anybody who wants to play fight you when you're an adult is a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, like you just meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. that's the that's the key factor there. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a terrible terrible thing. Yeah. Um, uh, they also notice that Chris is a smoker. Chris smokes the yeah. cigarettes, the nicotine. He's a dirty, <laughs> dirty <laughs> doper of 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 tobacco. Yeah. And uh, and the mom's like, you know, I can take care of that for you because she's a hypnotist. And he's like, ah. No, I, I love uh, Daniel Kaluuya's, uh, Kaluuya's uh, performance here when he's like, he's kind of like looking at them going, mm, I want to be polite to you guys, but also at the same time, this is a little crazy. And he just like gives them just a, just enough of a wink to like, I'm good. Thank you. You know, yeah. I'm good. I mean, look, he is playing, he's playing the parents like, like the best you could possibly do. I've been in situations where I go to a significant other's house and yeah. things, I mean, not this weird, yeah. but things are feel a little off and you just have to be polite and it's very hard, especially when they like push more food on you or yeah. like, or you want to you know play a game it's, or I mean, do meeting, meeting the parents is always an awkward kind of situation. Right? I've had it not be. I've had it be wonderful, but yeah. I, but it's, it, it can be trying. <laughs> uh, so, uh, then that night, I think yeah. that's where we're at now. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we're in spoilers. Did we say that? Okay, we did. We're in spo- I mean, dum dum dum. Yeah. At this point, you can go watch the movie. I'm presuming you've watched the movie. At yeah, this point. and if you didn't, you should. You should absolutely. Watch um, it. Chris goes outside and he's like, you know what? I need to smoke a cigarette. So yeah. he goes outside and he tries to. He walks outside. And he's got only about to, to be confronted. By light him. up a cigarette. He looks in the window. He sees Georgina sort of staring at herself with the mirror, and then like running away, which is and, weird. And yeah. then he turns and sees um, uh, the groundskeeper Walter yeah. uh, just running at him full tilt. And then right when he gets to him, because Chris is kind of in shock, he just veers ninety degrees to the right or to the left. Right. And he <laughs> runs the other direction. So here's the point at which... So my problem with this film is that 
it's kind of the same problem I had with The Handmaiden a little bit, which is that I didn't, lesbian scenes were too short. Yeah, way too short uh, in this film. Um, but I knew immediately what had happened here, which was that he w- that groundskeeper was sprint training. And that was in direct relation to the Jesse Owens photo thing. So I kind of like... See, I didn't catch that at all. I I just started connecting the dots like immediately in that scene. Um, I didn't quite know exactly where it was going, but I knew that like um, whatever horror that was in this house had something to do with their grandparents immediately because he was a sprinter who'd lost to Jesse Owens and now there was a black man sprinting outside their house uh, at night. So, so Chris goes in from that yeah. and runs into the mom doing the typical parent thing, like sitting in the dark and turning on the light and being like, hello, I've been waiting for you this entire time. She sits down. She uh, has a cup of tea, which is very prominent, and she's stirring it and stirring it and making a little tea scrapey noise. And uh, and she basically, because she, she gives the line of like, because she's like, I really got to help you quit smoking. Can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, she's like, she says this line of, I mean, she's my daughter. Yeah. Like trying to like guilt him into letting her fix his smoking habit. And he still kind of says no, but then she starts asking him crazy personal questions and then he's slowly being hypnotized. Well, she uses that hypnosis trick, which is that there's a sound that's constant, which kind of lulls you into something. Yep. Have you ever been hypnotized? No, I can't be sadly. I've tried. I've been to a hypnosis show, and I and I was one of the people that couldn't be, you know, like they, they do some sort of test. Now, I don't know, like I don't know. Maybe I mean I'm sure there's all different sorts of ways. Yeah, um, but I'm I, cur- I, yeah. I'm very curious about like the process of hypnosis. I would love it. Like I I uh, I bite my cuticles on my hand. I would love to get rid of that thing. But uh, almost that the, the idea of like hypnosis to quit smoking or hypnosis to stop a bad habit just seems like too good to be true and kind of lazy. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to hack my brain. And then the other part of that is like, well, what am I damaging by doing? Like, right, what right. else am I shutting off? Right. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm, I, I, I'm no hypnotist. But what I, I loved here is that, uh, so this is where the famous line comes in, now go to the sunken place or now sink. Now you're in the sunken place. Yeah, now sink. And uh, he just sinks down into the floor. Yeah. And we get this cool perspective of him sort of in this black void looking up at a window that that is his perception. Yeah. And you instantly understand that he is no longer in control of his own body. Yeah, exactly. And he's watching a screen. And and I I just, I thought this was, again, this is a low budget film, Um, you know, as obviously evident by the fact that it's a Bloomhouse film. But I thought this was just a really smart way to play this. And it was, it, it felt big. You know what I mean? It felt like, uh, it didn't feel cheap. It felt true to what the experience was. And yep. I really, I just, I really, when, when that happened, it really surprised me. And I was kind of like, oh, wow, I'm kind of into this. But it's also, um, there's a story that, this is another thing that I wasn't like, just as far as storytelling goes, I wasn't super into, is that um, uh, Chris has guilt about his mother's death, which is evidenced uh, when they hit the deer as well. He kind of, he he thinks about the, the deer and his, mother because his mother was, mother was hit, hit and run on the side him, of the road and, and chris was at home he was a little kid and waiting for her he, someone waiting for could her. have and, saved her if they got to her in time yeah and he just sat and waited for her um and so uh catherine keener's character kind of guilts him into uh being hypnotized by bringing up that story and, and having him sit still yeah now the only thing the acting that, when he's trapped is wonderful too it's yeah just yeah like the facial i really and the tear. i really like that story element it didn't quite just go far enough for me to like make it work and i want to the the way i kind of 
correlate that in another film, um, which I know not every film is one to one, but The Descent, which has a death in the beginning of uh, the very, very first frame of the film, uh, is a death that haunts the main character for the entire film. And it becomes a key factor in the decision she makes later on. Whereas I didn't feel like, I felt like this was a really clever thing, but it didn't write, like completely affect who his character was and what he did later on. I know they, there's... No, but it was just a bit of backstory. You're right. It didn't tie in as neatly. Yeah. It just, it, you know, like it just kind of felt like a uh, an interesting little character moment that didn't really... For everything else that was so tight, this felt a little... I guess you could... It, 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 the thing we'll get to at the very end uh, when he, has, he decides to drive back uh, to pick someone up who'd been hit by a car. That could also yeah, sort of it, play it into it a little into bit. That. I don't know. You're right, though. You are right. There's a little bit of disconnect. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So he wakes up mm-hmm. and he's in bed with Rose. Yep. He's like, oh, I had a crazy dream, blah, blah, blah. And so as they're getting ready for the day, he goes and he's walking outside taking pictures and he sees Walter, the mm-hmm. guy who was sprinting. Mm-hmm. And Walter apologizes in his crazy like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't see you there. I hope I didn't frighten you. That's mm-hmm. how both of the servants talk in this house. Yeah. Um, uh, Which is very awkward to begin with, but there's a reason for it later yeah. on as we get to it later. And then, like, even there's a little bit with Georgina unplugging his cell phone. Yeah. And she tries to explain it like, oh, I was cleaning. and that I Rather scene. than further whatever. And Look, if oh, there's an if there's an no, Oscar. No, 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 no. If, there, no, if this no, film no, ever gets no, no, nominated no, no, no. for an Oscar, that, like, little moment uh, played by Betty Gabriel when yeah. she says, no, 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 and tears comes, like, comes out of her eyes. Uh, just the, the, the framing of that shot, so the angle, the performance was uh, like, I was like, I, I just had a, it, this is the thing about this movie. I had a grin from ear to ear as this movie just kept going mm-hmm. and as it came to an end. And that was like the point at which I was like, man, I'm really digging this movie. Yeah. This is really, mm-hmm. he's onto something here. He's onto something really, really good. Um, so I love that moment. So he says, I'm sorry, you know, did fright you. And this is when Chris realizes that, whoa, he probably wasn't dreaming. That probably all happened. And yeah. then he confronts Rose. He's like, I think your mom hypnotized me last night. He's like, I don't even want to smoke. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's, that's so uncool and blah, blah, blah. And then they like kind of laugh it off during yeah. brunch, which I thought was weird. And then... The party happens. The party happens. So then, then they're like, oh, that was this weekend? Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember. Yeah, which and is Chris strange. is like, what the... Fuck and yeah. all these weird fucking white people and, and one, one Asian, Asian dude yeah. show up, who all take the so up until this point the the kind of racial um, insensitivity or racially motivated questions that people don't realize could are be equated to awkwardness. Yeah, it could be equated to awkwardness or just you know like being insensitive, uh, being but like not anymore. But not anymore. The first thing that happens is is like people start like touching him on the shoulder and going wow you're so fit and handsome and then she is says, it true what's going on down there yeah is it true what they say oh you play golf oh we love tiger yeah exactly um, uh what was the other one? Oh, black is in fashion yeah which is the probably the most awkward uh, one but then something else happens which is that there's another african-american at the party um played by lakeith stanfield who i loved from uh, short-term 12, oh by we the left way. out the very beginning what when he's it? walking down the road that wasn't him, though. Yeah, it was. Oh, was that Lakeith? Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah, so in the very beginning of this, it, it's it's him. He's walking down the road in a suburban neighborhood at night, and it's the classic like horror movie like character in the beginning is going to die, but like it's obviously a little bit flipped on its head. Oh, yeah. It was so and dark. And it's the brother. I didn't, I didn't even Eventually, see... this car comes, turns around. He's like, ah, oh, fuck this. He walks the other way, and then he looks around. The door's open. He gets hit and dragged into the trunk. That's the brother. Huh. Now, the re- I will, in my defense of not realizing that, um, the... Um, 
the people I was sitting next to some people who decided to come in into the movie at that moment and started like trying to get the people next to me to move over so they could get space and they were standing in front of me and it was very distracting. Fair enough. But yeah, that was him. So, that so was we him. see him at the party. See, now that does that make that a give more of a giveaway that you no, because at this point if you don't I know something's completely wrong, forgotten about that scene. If you if you didn't know that something was off in a bad way, yeah. then you don't deserve to, to understand films okay. like it's just it's, <laughs> maybe i don't deserve to understand no no no. Films. i'm not no. saying you i'm saying if a person is gonna think that ruins it right like, I, th- I think maybe the only thing is, is that it gives away that you know because i think the line that the film is towing is is the are these people insensitive or are they is there something more sinister afoot well luckily about 10 minutes after this you find out right and so some something is more, more sinister is afoot um <clears throat> so Oh, Chris goes around and he actually runs into this one other sort of part that's important here. He runs into a photographer that or, or art dealer that art he's dealer. a fan of, uh, played by Stephen Root, Jim Hudson. Yeah, I've seen Stephen Root in a couple of uh, Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, and uh, have you seen my stapler? Oh, was was he the? <laughs> yeah, uh, Office Space. <laughs> yeah, Office Space guy. I didn't realize. Um, and they have a nice conversation. Uh, he's an art dealer. He'd actually seen some of Chris's photos, and, and he, he and liked he, him. And he also seems like the first guy who's, who's like kind of, not a dick. Yeah, who's like, no, I get like, it. Fully not a dick. Yeah, people. The people here don't understand like the situation you're in, or yeah. you know, like what it's like to be you. Uh, so he seems like a good guy. But he goes over to uh, the dude in the beginning. He's like, hey, it's nice to see another uh, another brother around yeah. here or whatever. And he acts so strange as well. Yeah. And eventually, the Asian dude asks Chris, like, would you describe the African-American experience as being uh, positive or, no, helpful or hurtful or or hindrance? He was basically, whatever. He's like, oh, I think my friend here can answer it, pointing at... um, And he wants to send a photo to his buddy, Lil Ray. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, Andrew. Uh, But here's... Now, this is the part that sort of fell apart for me. Okay. Uh, Now, later on, you find out from... Uh, in a conversation after what happens, he says to Rose, like, in that moment, I feel like I knew him. Right. But so but so what happens is he takes a picture to send off to, to Rod. Yeah. Uh, and it su- snaps something in him. His nose starts bleeding and he starts screaming, get out, get out, get out to yeah. Chris. And, and, then, and not in the in the sort of affected voice that he'd been using earlier. Right, in a real scared, real yeah. voice. Yeah. And um, his nose bleeds as well. Yeah. And it... Uh, it freaks him out, and then the mother takes him in and like gives him a, a, a hypnosis session or whatever. Yeah. But Chris says to Rose, in that moment, I felt like I knew him. Now, right. the only reason to take that picture would be if you felt like you knew him. I think he was taking a picture just to like show to, to Rod that this is how weird this is. I guess. What, I, what My point is, that moment, because this movie does so much, didn't, so didn't slick. He, he, ha- he does yeah. it so slick and so smooth. This moment felt very bumbly to me okay. like he's like he like holds the camera at his chest like right. to take the picture yeah not like kind of looking at it then accidentally has the flight it just it all felt a little like and now he has to take a picture to instigate this right right uh and that that was the, one of the only sort of fumbly points but it's only because the rest of the movie is sliding on butter right like it's so aptly done. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's the thing. Any any holes that I'm picking at this film at this point, you should know, are just minor little details. Yeah. Again, first time film, you know, from from a first time writer director, it's exceptional for that. You yeah. know, like like so so anything which is just like oh maybe we you know we could have had a little mm-hmm. of this, but but uh, but I don't really 
believe that. So then the creep. So Chris decides he's gonna like uh, go for a walk because he's really upset. Him and Rose he's, go for a walk to sort of walk it off. Oh, and, but they they skip bingo because they just they just have to go for a walk. They're gonna skip bingo. Was gonna it's weird. Bingo. I I wonder what Bradley Whitford's plan was. Uh, if they if they had stayed for bingo, like how he was gonna. It was Rose's idea to go for the walk. Was it? Yep. Oh, what's, I can't. I can't recall how it happened. So bingo is not silent, bingo. It's a silent auction with a picture of Chris in a gazebo. This is when you should. Then, if you don't know now, it's not. They're not choosing this to take him on vacation. Yeah, there's something. Uh, something is afoot here. Yeah, and there's a silent bingo that is won by uh, our uh, stapler man. Um, yeah, you know, which uh, which again, this is you know, like one of the one of the articles I've read about this film is that this is one of the best discussions about slavery that is not a slave film you know we've had uh, 12 years of slave obviously recently birth of a nation sure zoo um roots you know the the the, the st- right, right, right slavery right, yeah. on film yeah. on film has been around for a while but the, the, this is actually a really apt modern conversation about slavery uh in a in a modern context I mean, did you did you kind of like did the auction in some ways kind of feel like it was engaging in that? I mean, it's in a gazebo. Okay, does that matter? I just that I, I don't know for whatever reason gazebos feel very plantation esque. Okay, uh, I also I, you know I also felt like the fact that he was wearing a collarless shirt, you know, like Chris was walking around in a collarless shirt because oh. something like that kind of felt very a little bit plantation sure. to me. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can't take the yeah, it's all it's all it's all a big. <laughs> Big every racism film. stew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every film is designed in some in some respects. So uh, Chris and Rose have a big, like, long conversations. Like, that wasn't a seizure. My cousin has seizures. That's not what they look like. Yeah. Rose kind of writes them off for a bit, and they're gone for a while. Then finally she's like, you know what? Fine. If this makes you uncomfortable, we'll leave. Like, yeah. I'll make up a thing. We'll leave in the morning. Yeah. He's like, okay, thank you. He's like, you're the best, and they, like, have a moment. And then, But then he's kind of like, you know, he's into this relationship. And I, I wasn't sure if there was, like, something she said that made him want to stay because he was hypnotized. Because there was a couple of phrases that Bradley Whitford and Catherine Krina had obviously used as kind of, like, trigger words. Mm-hmm. And they said, why don't you take get some rest or something like that? And they said it to both uh, Lakeith's character and... Um, Biddy, uh, Biddy's character yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. So I wondered if, like, she said something that kind of triggered him to stay. Well, like, maybe. Do you remember that? But they uh, decide to leave. They decide to leave. Yes, in the, in the morning. Yeah, uh, and that's when this is the 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 second act turning point. You know, leading us into the, the the big grand finale happens, which is Chris is packing his bags. He's getting ready to go. He looks into like what looks to be a closet door that's open, and in it is a box, a red box. And he opens up the red box, and inside the box are photographs of every one of um, Rose's previous boyfriends. And, and one girl- girlfriend. And one girlfriend who are all African-American, including the last picture of that girl who is the housekeeper. Um, so the pin- She had already said to him in the car on the way up that he was her first African-American, African-American boyfriend. boyfriend. Yeah, so, she, so, so this, is, this is where the penny drops, and he's got to get out of the... I don't know why at this point he doesn't realize that she's in on it. I, I think he just hopes she's not. Yeah, she hopes he's not. And I, I kind of was wondering like whether the parents are like the, the supreme evil and controlling um, Rose. Yeah. Control. And she's hypnotized and doesn't realize it yeah. either. Um, but no, 
That is not the There's case. There's a great twist. Uh, she does a wonderful move where she's like, I can't buy the keys. I'm so sorry. I can't buy it. And the parents and the brother being all creepy and not mm-hmm. letting Chris leave. And then he's like screaming at Rose like to get mm-hmm. the keys. And she's like, you mean these keys? And she yeah. like snaps out. She's like, you know, I can't. In the line you said, yeah. you know, I can't give you these keys, babe. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, whoa. And he drops into the sunken place. And we're into like, uh, you know, your worst fear being buried alive or like being unable to control your body kind of moment. So problem I have with film number two. Problem with I film have number two? I have or a this problem film? with this film. There's a second problem I have with Because there film. is a New Zealand film called number two, by the way. Oh, well, I've never seen it. Okay. But it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's wonderful based on its point of origin. Yeah. Um, so this little video they play, he's strapped down to a chair I in the did, basement. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about, and maybe it's because this was done for such a budget, but even big budget things, they cannot get the look of a television right on a fucking movie. Like the look of a screen, because like he's strapped to a chair and is right. an old school tube television, right. and it turns on and plays him an infomercial about what's going to happen to him from the grandfather of Rose. Which is the strangest thing, because if ever you wanted to catch someone and you know like doing something wrong, the first thing you do is check if they have made video evidence of such a thing. Right, but these people are so beyond thinking they're wrong that they're they're literally nixoning it all over the damn place, and it doesn't matter. Trumping so, it, perhaps. We may, well, here's hoping. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, it's this whole thing about how, like, you're going to be part of this great thing, and my family figured it out, and what we're going to do is take someone's brain and attach it to the stem of your brain. Right. I, see, I didn't understand uh, exactly what they were saying when they said it was the coagulant or the coagula. Or coagulant. Like, the coagulant. So it basically, and I didn't get it at first, because yeah. at first I thought they were just going to hypnotize people and, like, sort of try to transfer consciousness, but I'm like, that doesn't I didn't, I didn't quite understand work. the transfer consciousness until we saw Staple Man again. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but he's basically talking about how you're going to basically gonna take a brain and attach it to a, the base of your brain. And while you'll still be there being able to see what's going on, you mm-hmm. won't, you'll be a passenger. You yeah. won't be driving. So this is basically the more scientific explanation of the being John Malkovich uh, company towards the end. Yes. Yeah. So uh, he freaks out and then the teacup happens and he falls asleep. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Rod's trying to find his friend. He hasn't come home in time. Uh, he's calling places. He calls Rose. Rose tries to... He realizes something's kind of up because she starts like basically coming on to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he tries to record her, and then she blocks him or whatever, and he's basically running around with the, with uh, with Chris's dog yeah. trying to figure out what's happened to his friend. He goes to the cops, Yeah, and he tells like, him the whole story. He's also like, listen, I'm TSA. I have the same training you have, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a detective just like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they're not having it, and they bring it. There's a gr- some great comedy moments. This there. this moment felt like it was kind of riffed almost directly from Hot Fuzz. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I I I appreciated the joke, and I thought it was very well executed as well. Yeah. So um, then the second thing, the third thing I don't, the third and final thing I didn't like about the film again, revolving around the TV. Okay. Uh, photography or the art dealer guy played by Stapler. Okay. Uh, he. He comes on the screen and starts talking to him because he's in the other room being prepped for surgery. So now all of a sudden, this this old tube TV is wired with Skype. Yeah. And there's audiovisual connectivity and he's talking to him. And so I was just like, the setup of it, like everything else felt so like grounded and nice. Like this just was like this is the path of least resistance and we don't quite care that it doesn't make entirely all that much sense. It's also exposition dump. You know, it kind of feels a little bit exposition yeah. dump. So, but, but here's where it turned around for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were talking about it and uh, I forget, I think Chris might have brought up race or something. He's like, and then, um, I want to remember the character's name and I'll just call him Stapler, man. Uh, Jim. Jim's like, he's like, I don't know what the rest of these people do it for. He's like, but that's not me. 
He's like, I don't care what you are, who you are, whatever. This this was offered to me, and he's yeah. like, I just want. He's like, you're a talented artist. And he's like, I just want your eyes. Right. Because he's blind. Because he's so blind. He's, yeah. So, so like, it's interesting that the person that bought him. Yeah. When well, won him in the slave auction. Yeah, I truly believe isn't he's the only one I feel like that isn't doing this because he's black. He's just doing it because he's selfish and evil. It's not a race thing for him. He's the only one out of everybody because everyone else makes a big deal of it. Yeah. And this man, I think this is sort of the the cipher of you can also be evil and not racist. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, because he's evil, and ultimately they are only choosing African Americans, and he but probably he's, knows but he, that. But he even said he'd do it. He said, I forget what the line was. He's like, I don't care. He's like, if they brought me anyone, I would do this. But right. like anyone with your gift, with your, like your, I, I don't think he was coming from a racist place. He's yeah. the only character, only white person in this movie <laughs> that is not racist, but he's still evil. He bought another human to put his brain into. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know whether. <laughs> That disqualifies him from being a, like. Does it make it? Is it? It's one of those things where he's like, he's evil, but he's not. At least he's not racist. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I don't know. I'd rather pure evil with conviction and not because racism. <laughs> race. Look, racism is inherently stupid. Right. It's a shortcut and an ill-gotten one to yeah. get to stereotypes. So, it's stupid. It's ignorant to be racist. I, However, I remember in New Zealand, I, I didn't get in trouble for this, but I kind of, I, because I made a short film, Double Happy, you can see it on my website, which is about race in some capacity. And I made the comment that I think racism is funny. I think racism, like to me, there's an. Here we go. Yeah, we've talked about this. But you, you talk about, we've talked about this in the podcast. You talk about like friendly racism. Like you would be fine with me making an Indian joke because we're close. No, I wouldn't be cool with that. <laughs> of course I'd be cool with that. But like but but, yeah. but I remember saying this when we had this yeah. conversation. I yeah. wouldn't be cool with right, that. Right, right, right. Like so it's it's also personal and <laughs> yeah. it's also weird and I get it. Like yeah. it's cool that like you can find the fun in it. But yeah. it, at the end of the day it is an ignorant practice. Like there it's it's a shortcut to you trying to identify traits in people. And yeah, sometimes it might be right, but sometimes it's going to be wrong. And also, I think we were having a conversation earlier today where we talked about this. I think it's also, it's rooted in a lack of exposure to people of other colors. Yes. You know, and and like once you, if you're not exposed to people of other colors and you're told to... It's very them, easy for outside sources that are like you to be like, oh man, these people are bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that was really interesting. Um, So I, this is kind of, you know, like towards the end of the third act, this is a kind of an area where I, I felt like the film... Like, and again, first time film doesn't, you know, like, again, this is a minor, 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 minor shortcoming or note that I'm going to mention here. And I, you know, it almost goes without saying, but I didn't, I didn't feel like this whole sequence escalated in a way that was interesting to me. And, you know, like the film, like, again, the film that we're talking about before, Cabin in the Woods, escalates in its third act in a ridiculous way. Sure. But, uh, you know, which is amazing. It's a much bigger budget movie. Right. Um, but this didn't feel, like, this felt like it. they were kind of running through the motions of getting out. Like, uh, there's a scene where he realizes he can kind of, like, block his ears from... Yeah, moving. he scratches, because he's been scratching at the chairs every time he's been hypnotized, but he takes the cotton and puts it in his ear, so when the which teacup is a, happens... Which, uh, I, I, what I do love about that is that's a powerful image. He's picking cotton to cover his ear. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, that's really clever writing. So he puts it in his ears. The brother comes in to get him. Yeah. Uh, he's supposed to be sedated. He's not. Once he's unstrapped, he fights off the brother and smashes his, his head in. Yeah. A lot of blood on the floor. Right. Later on, there's a moment where the brother comes back and fights him again. I didn't like I mean, this that, moment. Yeah. I was like, whatever. Like, there was a but, lot but, of but blood. You, you know, the thing is, is that this is a... Um, 
This now turns into a survival third act horror movie. Yeah, but it's also a small movie, so you need to like find ways to like escalate that. And you know, like they do things like um, he takes the cotton out of his ears and throws it away, and it's one of those things where I'm like, no, you got to use that again. But I know from a screenwriting point of view, you can't use the same trick twice because twice it won't be it won't be fun. Yeah, it's not it's not as dramatically so engaging. So the father is in the middle of cutting. Uh, open the guy who's Stable gonna, man. Stabler man's uh, <laughs> skull he like throws his skull like it's yeah. like non-ceremoniously into the garbage and yeah. then he here he's waiting for him he's wondering what's taking so long he walks down and Chris takes a stag as a stuffed taxidermied stag head from the wall and stabs it through the father with the horns and I was just like yep symbolism yeah, I, li- I like that as well. Um, I just, you know, I wish Bradley Whitford just as good, great an actor as he is. Uh, I wish he'd had more of a a scene at the end of this. You know, sure, like, like, but it I wasn't g- his movie. That's the thing. It, it was it was really uh, Chris and Rose's movie. It was, and I I just I kind of wanted uh, maybe and maybe you know this is one of those things where I was like I kind of wanted this, but maybe if I'd gotten it, I would have hated it. Sure, kind of thing is like I kind of wanted uh, a conversation or something where we really realize how callous that character is you know like i wanted to see the race issue come to the forefront i just think we got no because i like it that it, it yeah and, all... and as soon as i say it i feel like oh maybe it would have been yeah. bad you know so he goes upstairs he's confronted by the brother again yeah. as he's trying to get away and there's a genius moment where he is fighting with the brother and he keeps trying to reach for the door and the brother keeps kicking the door closed but he realizes he can't get he's basically going to use that to stab the brother's leg yeah because he can't reach it anywhere else and yeah. he gets he gets through and he finally smashes his head in more yeah <laughs> brother dies yeah he gets outside he kills Catherine keener in the in the process as well like oh yeah the then he goes and then she he smashes the teacup yeah. and then he fights her off and i think stabs her well she stabs him in the hand with a knife and then he basically stabs her with the knife still through his hand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh then he gets outside uh rose go, comes outside at this point because she was like listening to music or something upstairs and she has a gun yeah and she and then chris is getting away in the car uh and he he Oh, sorry. He gets on the phone with Rod. Yeah. And they figure out something. Rose says something about... Uh... No, he's calling 911. Is he? Yeah, he's calling 911, and and he's trying to explain where he is, what a state he is at and stuff, and then he gets disconnected. I mean, then he gets fired at when he jumps in the car and gets away. But then how does he end up hitting Georgina? Georgina is outside. Uh, she's running at the car, and he, and he hits her. And then that's the decision he makes. He like, picks her up like, ah, fuck. And he's like, yeah. gets her and puts her in the but car. It's, okay, so this is where that scene, everything pays off. You know, like, it, it reminds him of his mother. Um, but, you know, like, the only payoff here is he decides to, like, keep her in the car yep. as opposed to, like, you know, just driving away. But then she's Rose... Says, get him, Grandpa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you realize officially that, that Wal- uh, Walter, not Walter, um, was it Walter? No. Uh, oh, it was Walter. Yeah, yeah, Walter, the groundskeeper, was the grandfather pre-put into a new body, and Georgina was the grandmother. Again, this wasn't a surprise for me. I kind of... This like, was validation at this yeah, point, yeah, not a surprise. Yeah. So uh, he chases after him. Uh, she makes uh, Georgina makes the car crash, but she eventually dies. Chris crawls out. Yeah. Walter gets up there with the gun and is going to shoot Chris and has a bit of a but, monologue. But, well, they have a little tussle where the camera flash makes a second appearance, which yep. which snaps him out of it temporarily. And again, the thing here is I knew what was going to happen mm-hmm. once he got he the gun. He grabs the camera la- he, earlier. He, he, no, what, I knew what was going to happen once Walter got in the gun. You sure. Know, like I knew exactly the the way out for Walter here was to to shoot Allison, uh, shoot Allison um, Williams, Rose? and then oh. and then Rose, and then to shoot himself. Like I knew that was what's going to happen. Allison doesn't, of course, die, and Chris is left 
like almost strangling her and she gives him this like evil smile and this is this is the genius of the movie this this scene here i think is everything that makes this movie great. okay uh first off it's that evil smile that she gives him and it's what he i think what it what he realized the way he reads that is that she's saying, yeah, play into the stereotype, because he's choking her. In the street, in, in the, the street, woods. Yeah, in the woods. And it's like, you're playing into, you know, like, you're playing into the stereotype, and he doesn't want to do that. Right. So he he's a, he, he's about to walk away, and this is what happened in my theory. No, no, he's still strangling her when the cops roll up. Cop, cop lights roll up, and everyone in the audience was upset they were like like so in in any other movie when the cops roll up the cavalry has arrived the hero is saved in this case because he's an african-american because of the scenario that we're looking at where he is an african-american strangling a white woman um who's just been shot everyone in the audience knew exactly what that meant which Mm -hmm. was that chris is now more fucked than he was almost a minute ago um and that was I think was kind of the genius of this scene. Yeah. You know, like everyone in our audience was like shouting at the screen. It was like, you know, like this was the lowest point for it until we realize who's behind that car or who's in the police vehicle. It's Rod! Yay! TSA! TSA. Uh, uh, yeah. Citizen of the situation handled. Yeah. Uh, he rescues Chris and they drive away and Rose dies. How did you feel about that last moment? Fucking loved it. Yeah. It was wonderful. the The best part was uh, obviously the comedic delivery. Like they're like, you know, I don't want to say I told you so, but you shouldn't have gone in that house. <laughs> like he waits like five seconds to say it, and, and it's just it's it's genius. And and then the film ends, and it and it it's it's a it's a it's a perfect fucking horror movie. It's it well. It, I did. I, I don't know about you. I wasn't particularly scared by this movie. I I didn't like get a lot of like. I didn't get a lot of feeling of dread, but what it did do that I think um, the kind of horror that Jordan Peele is into, uh, he's actually he's actually curating this uh, this um, the horror um, collection at, at BAM Theater right now um, with films that he loves. And I think the films that he loves as a horror filmmaker are films that aren't about the supernatural horror, but are about like the psychological feeling of like, I can't get out. And so his films are like that he picks there are Rosemary's Baby, right. Rear Window, Night of the yeah, Living yeah, yeah. Dead, um, Silence of the Lambs, Misery, those kinds of things. Um, and that's what I actually, the scene where um, Chris was trapped in the room uh, with the TV, the feeling I got there was like, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. Right. And so that's the kind, that's where I think the horror of this film works really well. It's yeah. putting you in a position that well, makes you. To be honest, it's not, you could call it a thriller more than a horror movie. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but it's it's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, I mean, this will get into my final thoughts. Sure. Uh, you know, it, it is. It's it it manages to straddle that line of being equally. I wouldn't say scary, but like unnerving. unnerving. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And equally funny at the same time. Like he doesn't lose his. You know, he knows what the Jordan Peele brand is and the Key and Peele brand, right. and people are going to go see it for that reason. And he doesn't lose that audience at the same time. So it's a real, it's a real tightrope walk. And it's, you know, it's the same thing with The Gift. I think The Gift, you know, a fi- um, uh, the Joel Edgerton film, mm-hmm. is a film that straddles that line between being unnerving and creepy and also, like, t- 
takes a risk with its ending. Sure. You know, so I, that's what I loved about this film. And I, you know, like Jordan Peele has come out and said he's going to do, he's got three more socially motivated Which is great. Uh, horror films that he wants or socially motivated films that he wants to do. Yeah. Um, I think this is, this is what I want to see from him. Um, I think he's really smart at this. Uh, I don't think he needs to do a Marvel movie, which is like what, you know, like uh, people would uh, automatically jump to after their first film like this. That's that's a success as this is. Um, Look who brought up Marvel first. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah. Congratulations to you. I'm glad you won that. I'm uh, sure I'm sure yeah. I didn't have the teacup spinning right now just <laughs> yeah. to hypnotize you into saying that. Well, yeah. Um, but no, it's everything about this is great uh, worth seeing. And, and it's, you know, like we're two weeks uh, or a week out from the release of this film. Please go see it in a theater with as big an audience as you can. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, willing to see it again. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all of that. I, I love horror movies in general, but I love the ones particularly that bring up more like actual real life issues and wrap them in fantastical situations. I mean, you brought up Cabin in the Woods, obviously. Night of the Living Dead, They mm-hmm. Live, etc. And now this one, we actually have one that's like aimed directly at race. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's the proper time for that as we're dealing with a bunch of nonsense going on in our <laughs> own government. But um, every day. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it was a really refreshing take on a genre and done by a, by a first time director that while he's obviously done a ton of other stuff that we enjoy mm-hmm. is so impressive. And again, the, all of the gripes we gave, it's only because the rest is just butter. It's 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 so smoothly done and wonderfully crafted and smart and funny. And yeah, 100% what you hear said, you should go see this in a theater. And I'm sure you have. And if you haven't, then... Yeah, at this point, yeah. You better go. <laughs> so yeah, this has been the only podcast about the film Get Out. There should be more. I mean, we did mention one other, but we're going to pretend it didn't exist. I don't remember that. <laughs> Dude, what... Nope. Yeah, uh, nope. Don't remember that. Oh. If you if you want to recommend films for us to see, like Get Out, or or perhaps another film. There's a film or uh, like anything. I would love us to do called Fight for Your Life, which is a Ooh. racially motivated uh, home invasion film that I saw many years ago that I, I think is kind of genius. <laughs> That's not The Purge? It's not The Purge. Now, was that racially motivated? It, there, there's classism, which Ben ties into race. It's okay. not... A lot of the, the, the poorer people are minorities in that film. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's or fair those enough. films. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you'd like to recommend a film for us to see, uh, that doesn't have to be a horror film, but you can reach us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod as our friend Jay Jacob has to instigate many uh, very um, interesting conversations with us. Also, check out our website, onlymoviepodcast.com. Yeah, and uh, Matt, uh, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at Skelter, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram, Emperor MSK on Twitter, obviously our Twitter uh, as well, and uh, oh, MatthewKroll.com, where you can find all of my life and works. And yourself? Is uh, www.shahirdaud.com That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Guys, thank you so much for listening next week someone has come along schnicked i am so fucking psyched we're doing <laughs> logan and it's oh, going to be movie. shot up <laughs> it's gonna be brilliant and if it's not i'm really gonna cry <laughs> uh guys thank you so much we will see you next time stay woke stay woke